listening to Life Church Podcast with Pastor David Singley. Easier. I will try to hustle today. I know it's warm. Um, this past week, God taught me the definition of suffering. As you know, if you were here last week, we are uh, in this new series called When Life Stinks, a series all about suffering and pain in the life of the believer. And uh, this past week, I was working in my garage, just getting some things cleaned up, and the mosquitoes were really getting to me. And so I said, well, I, I just found a bottle of bug spray in my golf bag. So I said, perfect, I'm going to throw some of this on. I can keep working. And uh, I'm just trying to spray it, and it's kind of old, and so I was, it wasn't working right. It has one of those nozzles on it, and I just keep pressing. I'm like, what's the matter with this thing anyway? And I'm, I'm kind of shooting it over here at my shoulder. And the nozzle twists, and just at that moment, it doesn't come spraying out like in a mist. It comes shooting out like a fire hose. And it hit me right in the eye. And I'm telling you, when you look up suffering in the dictionary, it says getting hit in the eye with bug spray. Because I went down, and I was down the rest of the night, and uh, Jerry Vanderpaul saw me the next day. How did I look, Jerry? Yes, I looked like I'd been in a fight and lost uh, sorely. So uh, anyway, sometimes God does that when uh, we're in these series. So I'm, I'm super excited to get done with this series, uh, because I'm not welcoming any more suffering. But uh, anyway, I don't know about you, but when I think of the times in my life that I've been through the great, greatest suffering, and I'm not just talking about little annoyances like getting hit in the eye with bug spray, but really, really uh, deep struggle and pain, um, I can't help but notice a trend in my life. And the trend is that when I look at those times of difficulty and struggle and pain and suffering, um, oftentimes, if, if I could chart it out, I would see the greatest amount of spiritual growth in those times, the greatest amount of of, of growth with Jesus Christ and my relationship with him, the greatest amount of growth in my character comes during those times. And I think about the times of the greatest ease, and those are my favorite times to think about, the times where it was almost void of pain and suffering. And I look at the growth of my character, and it's kind of like, well, I really didn't grow a whole lot that I can see during those times. It's kind of just almost flatlined. But the times of pain are the times of growth. And if you, if you do that, take a moment with me this morning. Think of the times of, of great pain in your life. Think of the times when, when it was very difficult, when you suffered a lot. And think about where did the growth take place. Then think about the easy times. And was there a lot of growth during easy times? You know, all of us as human beings, we love joy and we love to be free of pain. We just love it. I had a counselor tell me one time that, Dave, human beings do everything out of two motivations. To find life and to avoid pain. And I think he's pretty, pretty right. You know, but when we look at our lives, oftentimes I think we would agree that most of the growth that takes place takes place in the difficult times. And in these next few weeks, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be looking at suffering's purpose. As I said last week in talking about sovereignty, God has a purpose for your suffering. None of your suffering is in vain. And we're going to be looking at some of the clear messages from Scripture about God's, God's purpose in your suffering. And we're not going to touch on every one of them, but we're going to kind of highlight some of the themes. And this week, we're going to be looking at how our master potter, God, our father, uses pain and suffering and evil to shape us, to make us, to mold us, to be more like Jesus Christ. How he, how he comes into that experience, as difficult as it is. He, we, we learned last week that he's right there, and he uses that experience to change us. Isaiah chapter 64, verse 8, gives us that analogy of the potter and the clay. It says, Yet, O Lord, you are our father, we are the clay. You are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. This scripture also points to that, that topic that we 
I mentioned last week on the sovereignty of God. How much control does the clay have over the potter? Not very much. How much say does it have in what, the, what it becomes? Not a whole lot. You know, and oftentimes, we think of this as kind of a cute analogy, right? But I showed you that video this morning to realize that pottery is kind of a bad experience for a piece of clay, right? Because you've got this old guy, and he starts off by beating on the clay to get it to be the workable clay state, those of you who are into pottery. I took a little class and almost failed back in high school. Uh, but he, he starts out beating on it, and then, and then he rips a chunk off of it, and then he slams it down on the wheel, and, and he beats on it some more. And then when the pot's all done with this molding and the shaping and this forming, and it thinks, ah, alas, I have, I've gone through all of the worst. And they put it in a kiln and fire it so that it can be useful, so that it can become a pot. The analogy of us being clay in the potter's hands means that we will have pain and suffering in our lives, but that our master potter will use that to shape us, make us more like Jesus Christ. Staying with this analogy, A.W. Tozer said that a sculptor does not use a manicure set to reduce the crude, unshapely marble to a thing of beauty. The saw, the hammer, and the chisel are cruel tools, but without them, the rough stone must remain forever formless and unbeautiful. To do his supreme work of grace within you, God will take from your heart everything you love most. Everything you trust in will go from you. Piles of ashes will lie where your most precious treasures used to be. I read that and I said, ouch. God, I'm not ready for that. I'm not ready for what Tozer says. That God could take anything from us. That he could do anything in your life to bring about his work. Some of us are scared by that, but this is all about coming to a place of trusting him. He is big. His plans are higher than ours. His ways are so much higher than ours. And he can use even pain and evil and suffering in our lives to bring about his work of grace within us. Now, to be sure, I want to make this point. Pain and suffering are not what causes the change. Pain and suffering are not to be glorified as they they don't cause the change in us. Oswald Chambers, I think, had it right. He said this. He said, we all know people who have been made much meaner and more irritable and more intolerable to live with by suffering. Don't nudge your spouse and say amen. But it is not right, he says, to say that all suffering perfects. It's not right to say that all suffering perfects. And we know that from experience. It only perfects one type of person. The one who accepts the call of God in Christ Jesus. What Chambers is on to there is that suffering can lead us down the other road too, right? It can lead us to becoming bitter and resentful and mad at everybody, including God. And so suffering is only something good in the life of the believer because God can use it for good. That's the only reason why suffering can have a good purpose. Otherwise, it's just in vain and it's horrible and it's awful as we experience it. The big idea here today is that the Bible says when we see him, meaning Jesus, we will be like him. And that tells me one big thing that somebody's going to need to change. And how many of you can guess who that is? If when we see Jesus, we will be like him, somebody needs to change, I can guarantee you it isn't going to be Jesus. He's already there. So we know that we need to do some changing in this life, and we know that our sovereign God is going to work through sin and suffering and evil and pain in our lives to bring us to that place where we are like Jesus. The master potter is at work in your life. We're going to unpack a short scripture and be done today. It's Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Let's bring it up there. We don't have to use real Bibles anymore. We have them on the screen. 
Therefore, we'll just read the whole thing and then we'll go back through it verse by verse. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into his grace, which we now stand, and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, we also rejoice in our sufferings. Kind of interesting. We're going to get into that. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. All right, let's go back to verse 1 and just unpack this and walk through it. Okay, so he says, Therefore, since we've been justified, justified means to be made right through faith. We've been made right with God through faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Everybody say, thank you, Jesus. Because before Jesus, we, the Bible says we were enemies with God. It is not good to be enemies with the creator of the universe. How many of you would agree? And so Jesus Christ has taken us from a place of being enemies with God to being friends of God, to be sons and daughters of God. Adopted. An incredible, incredible gift. Because he took God's wrath, he stood in our place. An amazing thing that Jesus has done. So let's go on to the next verse. It continues talking about Jesus, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace, which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We'll stay there for a minute. So the first thing the Apostle Paul says here is that we rejoice in something. And he's going to say that we rejoice in two things in this passage. And they're two critical things. But the first thing we rejoice in as believers is the hope of the glory of God. What does glory mean? Oftentimes I think that word gets thrown around in Christian circles and we don't really ever know what glory means. It means honor, praise, brilliance, splendor, grandeur. John Piper says the glory of God is the heart of our gladness. That as his children, we love it when God gets honor, praise, splendor, majesty, grandeur. When he is seen as he actually is. How many of you know that our God gets mocked a lot these days? And while we are on this earth, God does not reveal his full glory to anyone. But the day is coming, Paul says, and we hope in that day when God will be seen, whoa, and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. I find that fascinating because there's just some people in this world that I can't picture bowing to anybody. And sometimes I like to just daydream about all the people that will bow to Jesus when he appears in his glory in his splendor, in his radiance, in his majesty, in his grandeur, and they see him. And the only logical response will be to fall on their knees and bow to him. Osama bin Laden will bow to Jesus. Donald Trump will bow to Jesus. I can't picture some of these people bowing to anybody. But they will bow to Jesus because they won't have a choice. It will be that awesome, that terrifying of a sight. And a Christian, a believer, rejoices in the hope that Jesus Christ is coming back. And that one day we will stand and we will we'll gaze at him and we won't be able to say anything except for holy. Our view of God is too small, people. But he hopes in the, in the fact that God's glory is going to be revealed. The Apostle Paul says, we rejoice in that hope. Okay, so we have hope in that. That one day Jesus will come back and it's going to be like this. Boom. We'll see him and his glory will be revealed. And we'll stand in awe. And he hopes in that fact that God's glory is coming. Now, we go on to the next verse. He says something kind of interesting. He says, not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings. All right, Paul, what are you talking about? We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We rejoice that God will be seen for who he really is. But then we also rejoice in our sufferings. 
What do those two things have to do with each other? Seems kind of weird. Well, let's see what he says. We rejoice in our sufferings, not because we like suffering or because we're masochists. We aren't masochists as Christians, by the way, everybody. We don't enjoy hurting ourselves or we don't invite pain upon ourselves. We don't love it. We like what it does in our lives. All right, we hate the pain and the suffering just like everybody else. But we like what it does in our lives as believers. And the Apostle Paul explains this. He says that we rejoice also in sufferings because suffering produces perseverance. What is perseverance? Some of you have persevered through great trials. Incredible trials. And suffering produces perseverance. It's a steadiness. Another way to say that word um, would be uh, it, it produces kind of a grittiness to our character. An ability to hang with the faith. That word perseverance literally means to stay up under pressure. To stay steady under pressure. All right? Until times get hard, we don't know what kind of Christians we are. We don't know if we're the real deal or not. If we're fair-weather Christians or not. Corey Ten Boom said this. I think she has the right to talk about suffering, spending many, many days and nights in a Nazi prison camp, watching many of her friends die, brutally murdered, suffer sickness and illness. She said, you may never know that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. I think that's right. That suffering produces this steadiness, this grittiness that says, I'm not going to quit on my faith. I'm not going to bail. It convinces us that we're not like the, the Christians that Jesus talks about in Mark chapter 4. Remember the parable of the, so, the soils? Let's pull that one up. Uh, Mark chapter 4, verse 16. Jesus is teaching <clears throat> on different kinds of Christians, and he says, Others like seeds sown on rocky places hear the word at once, receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes, because of the word, they quickly fall away. So each believer has this question inside of them. Am I like the rocky soil seed? Am I going to quickly fall away when persecution comes? And perseverance is simply walking through that, pers- that, that trouble or that persecution, that pain, and staying up under it, staying up under the pressure and not bolting. Not bailing on Jesus. You say, no, I'm not going to bail just because things got hard. I'm not going to quit just because things got rough here. I'm going to stay with Jesus. Jesus promised I would go through tough times, and I'm going to stay with him. So you keep plowing along like little oxen in your faith, and you just keep going. You just stick right with it. Suffering produces perseverance. You remember old war movies? One of my favorites is Braveheart. It's kind of like breaking a horse. You know, when you first try to put a saddle on a horse, I've never done that before, by the way, so I'm speaking from testimonies. Um, the horses are really jumpy and jittery, and they want to get out, kind of like we do under pressure. We want to bail out. Anytime we get under pressure, we just want to get out of it. And horses are that way. It feels very uncomfortable for them. So they want to get out any way that they can. But after you work with that horse, many days after many days after many days, you can break a horse to the point where in battle, they'll run headlong, charge headlong into their own death because they've been broken to that point. I think that that happens in the Christian life as well. That as we go through suffering, as we go through trials, we get this grittiness about us, and we kind of grit our teeth, and we say, no, I'm not giving up. No, nothing's going to take me away from Jesus. No, nothing's going to make me abandon Jesus. Nothing's going to make me leave my faith. You know, all the disciples were martyred. According to history, Luke was filleted. 
James was thrown off the temple and dragged behind horses. Peter crucified upside down because he didn't, want, didn't feel worthy to die the same way that his Lord died. They had this grittiness about them. They had suffered to the point where they developed this, this tenacity. They had, they had suffered to the point where they developed this steadiness and said, it doesn't matter what happens to me. They could take my life, but I'm not quitting on Jesus. And that's where we want to be. Suffering produces perseverance. Remember your first trial in the faith? How you thought, oh, how could this be happening to me? You come to Jesus and you're like, how could this be happening? I, now I believe in Jesus. He's supposed to make my life good, right? I believe that's the most dangerous time for a believer because the enemy will come along and he'll say, see, he's not real. See, he isn't faithful. See, he wasn't protecting you. He wasn't there. And the truth of the scriptures is that Jesus promised that we would have suffering and pain, but that he overcame it for us. But as a believer goes through struggles and they go through trials and they go through suffering, they develop the steadiness, the stability. It says, no, I'm not quitting. I'm not giving up. Just because things got hard, I am, I'm not quitting. I'm hanging in there. So the Apostle Paul says, we glory or we hope in the glory of God, but also we rejoice in our own sufferings because it's doing something for us. Not because we like it, but it's producing perseverance. And then perseverance produces character, or another way to put it would be proven character. The word there is document. Literally means the experience of being tested and approved. Now this is pretty easy to grasp, right? So here you are, and you've, you've gone through a couple of trials, right? Whether they're big or not, it doesn't matter. You've gone through a couple of things as a believer, and you stayed steady. You didn't bail on Jesus. You didn't bail on your faith. You walked through them. And then on the other side of the trial, you're like, hey, my faith is real. I'm proven. I've been tested and approved. You get an attaboy, girl from God. He says, way to go. God is in your pain. Remember, he's watching you. He's watching you as you go through it, and he's encouraging you. Hang in there. I'm with you. I got my arms around you, but he is allowing it for whatever reason he wants. But mostly, as we're looking at today, one of the reasons is to conform you to the image of Jesus Christ. You come out, and you know that you're real. You know that you're proven. You've been tested, and you passed. The biggest example in my life I can think of like this is not a trial at all, but it's um, if you've ever played sports, I was a big basketball guy in high school. And I loved basketball, and I just dreamed about basketball all the time. And it was a small God to me, so God uh, took it from me. No, he didn't take it from me, but I can't play basketball nearly as well as I used to be. It's partly of being out of shape. Um, but anyway, in high school, we'd have big games coming up, and you'd dream about it and think about it, and everybody would talk about it. And you'd have all this pressure building for weeks and weeks and weeks, and and you're just thinking, man, do I have what it takes to come through in that situation? Okay, will I play up to my abilities in that situation? And then the game comes, and you just light it up. You just play great. And that doesn't happen every time, but sometimes you just, it just happens. And you have a fabulous game, and you, the feeling that I think is the closest to this feeling of, being, of having proven characters walking into school next day and seeing your buddies. And they're like, dude, nice game. You know, they give you a pound, and you're like, yeah. You don't need to say anything in that moment. You're like, yes, I've been tested to the ultimate, and I came through. I came through. I endured that experience. came through, and I was a winner. You have proven character. You get an attaboy, a girl from God 
as you go through. God approves of you, and that gives us a great sense of joy. Helen Keller said this, Character cannot be developed in ease and quiet. Only through experience of trial and suffering can the soul be strengthened, ambition inspired, and success achieved. I think Helen Keller could speak to suffering, wouldn't you? Proven character. So the Apostle Paul is saying, we rejoice not just in the hope that we're going to get to see God as he truly is. We do rejoice in that. But we also rejoice in our sufferings. Not because we like suffering, but because of what it's doing in us. It's producing a provenness. It's, it's, a, it's giving us a sense that we are steady in our faith. It's producing proven character. And then lastly, it gives us hope. It gives us hope. So now we're back to verse 2 where we started. There's two things that give us hope in this passage. And the one is we hope in God's glory. We hope that this is going to happen. Right? That God's going to come back. Jesus is going to come back and he's going to be seen as he truly is. But then Paul says this. He says we also rejoice in our sufferings because sufferings produce perseverance. Perseverance, character. And character produces hope. Hope in what? I believe this is the big point of his passage. We hope that we are changing. That it's actually happening. That what God said, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion, is actually doing what he promised to do. That you are becoming more like Jesus Christ. It's actually happening. You know those people that have been through a lot of suffering, they'll tell me sometimes, Dave, I used to be so impatient, but now after going through that, I've got such a patience about me. They're conforming, they're, they're, they're becoming more like Jesus Christ. And the definition of becoming more like Jesus Christ is that you too are being glorified. That you are becoming more like that. You are starting to reflect Him. You are starting to have hope because it's happening. I'm not staying the same. That's how I can take hope in my sufferings that I'm changing. I'm becoming more like Jesus Christ. And the ultimate hope in this promise is that one day... Jesus Christ will return. The dead in Christ will rise, those believers that have died before us. And those who are still living will be caught up with him in the clouds, and we will share in Christ's glory. You will be glorified. You won't be in the same sinful state. You will be also magnificent, radiant, splendid. And this is something incredible that Paul hopes, and he hopes in glory as well. He explains it in Romans chapter 8. We'll touch on it briefly, and we'll be done here. So Paul's not just hoping in God's glory. Well, let's just bring it up. He says, now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. That's a beautiful gift, people. If indeed, he says, we share in his sufferings in order that we might also share in his glory. So we share in his sufferings because it's doing something in us. It's producing this perseverance and that perseverance character and that character hope and that hope in the fact that we will one day be glorified with Jesus and we will share in His glory, in that honor, praise, splendor, grandeur. We will share in that. Let's look at the next verse. I consider, Paul says, our present sufferings. Now, for Paul, this meant his present sufferings meant beatings, floggings, shipwrecks, snake bites, imprisonments. If one of us was beaten one time, we would talk about it for the rest of our lives and probably have four books written about it. Paul was beaten numerous times, flogged to the point of death several times. And he says, I consider that our present little sufferings, he calls a momentary light in one of his other writings, 
are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. So he says, all the things that we're going through right now, don't even think about it. It's not even worth talking about compared to how awesome it will be when you are glorified with Jesus Christ. The glory that you will share. In other words, the splendor, the grandeur, the magnificence. What is coming is so much better than what you're going through. That gaining this, if you have to go through that to get this, this is so much better. It's not even worth talking about that. That's what he's saying here. Last verse. This is my favorite. It says, the creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. So this is what the Apostle Paul is saying. He says, hey, as Christians, we rejoice in the hope that God's going to come back and he's going to be seen as he truly is in all his magnificence, in all his splendor, in all his grandeur. And we're going to stand and we're going to go, oh, holy. It's going to be awesome as believers. That is the heart of our gladness. But also, he says, we rejoice in sufferings because they're doing something in us, not because we like the suffering. We don't like the suffering. We like what it does in us. Produces perseverance, perseverance, character, character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us because we know we are changing to be more like that. And so he says that the creation waits in eager expectation that as this master potter is making his masterpiece, which is you, as he's molding you and forming you and shaping you through pain and suffering and difficult things, as well as through other things that we're going to look at in in the next couple weeks, as the master potter is molding you and making you, one day when Jesus Christ returns and God is seen in his glory, which Paul is rejoicing and hoping in, we too will be resurrected and be seen sharing in Christ's glory. And he will reveal us to the creation. And all creation will stand and go, wow, look what he did. We'll be magnificent as well. Jesus Christ is coming back. He's coming back to reveal himself. But the Apostle Paul is very clear here that we also will be glorified with him and we get to share in that glory. It gives us incredible hope. We're not going to stay in this place of suffering and evil. There is an end to it. There is great hope. And the Apostle Paul, no doubt, is encouraging us to take hope in that. I believe he's saying to you, no matter where you are today, no matter what suffering you're going through, that he, as the master potter, is using your pain, your suffering, and the evil to create something beautiful to make you and mold you into something glorious, just like Jesus Christ. He's molding you and shaping you after his image. I want to let that fill you with hope today that we hope in our God coming back and seeing him for who he truly is. We also hope in the fact that we too will be changed and are being changed even right now in the midst of our suffering. Let me pray pray with you. Father, we thank you as the master potter. We thank you that you are molding us and shaping us, changing us. We thank you that you actually have a good purpose for the pain and the suffering that we go through in this life. We thank you that you can actually use pain and suffering to accomplish good in our lives. But the pain and suffering of themselves is not to be looked forward to. The pain and the suffering in and of themselves is not good, Father. But that they can have such incredible good in our lives because you are good. And because you have only good in mind for us. 
We thank you, God, that we will one day see you and all people will see you for who you really are. We look forward to that day. We hope in that day that our faith will become sight. And we know we will not be disappointed on that day. But we also hope, Jesus, in sharing in that glory that our uh, earthly sinful bodies will be resurrected and will also be glorified with you. That we, if we share in your sufferings, will also get to share in your glory. We'll be made completely brand new. Incredible experience. And that our suffering will end forever. Pray for anybody in here, Holy Spirit, who is really wrestling with who you are in the midst of suffering. Anybody whose heart is uh, just in utter confusion over how you could let them go through difficult times. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would pour your salve upon their heart and that they would walk away with nothing but an understanding of your great love. That you would help to answer some of their questions or at least help them work through some of their questions. We love you today, Father, and we trust you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we close out the service this morning, we want to give some of you the opportunity to have prayer ministry. I'm going to ask the, some couples to come up and stand with me up front here. There are two places that we'd like to address. Number one is that that opportunity to put your hope in Jesus for the first time ever. That today you can know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and that you can know the forgiveness of sin and know redemption. And all this happens when we simply believe. The Bible says if you will confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, He will be faithful to forgive you of your sins, to cleanse you from all of your unrighteousness, to give you a fresh start, a clean slate, it's a wonderful experience. And if you need that today, we want to invite you to come and pray with one of our, our prayer leaders, one of our prayer counselors, okay? And the second area that we would like to address this morning, and you can come for any need that you have, but perhaps there's someone here today and you've just never really been able to reconcile that reality that you suffered and God saw it. And that somehow you took offense to God because in his wisdom and in his sovereignty, he did allow some things to happen in your life and invade your life. One of the most amazing times in my life is when I've sat down with people who have suffered deeply and listened to their heart because in those places I've learned so much. And one man dying of a debilitating disease, his body all gnarled and, and paralyzed, looked at me, and with absolute confidence and assurance said to me, Pastor, the best thing that ever happened to me, a ruddy, red-headed army soldier, was the day that I walked into a doctor's office and he labeled this disease. Because on that day, I fell to my knees. And I found Jesus. And he says, I've not gone through anything that hasn't worked for my good. And he died loving Jesus and knowing the love of Jesus. And maybe you're one of those people who you just haven't reconciled it and, and it's been a hard life, it's been a tough place. And you couldn't see God good in that place. 
But we're asking you today to let the Holy Spirit bring a shift in your life. Not to see God as an author of evil because he is not and never will be. But just to understand that whatever has entered into our lives, God has been there and will be there and can use it to bring good. And there in the place of suffering, character can be built. Perseverance can grow. Hope can be established and move us. And we can rest in a God who loves us deeply and cares about us. If you're one of those people and today you just need, you need to make that shift. And you need to be prayed for. We want to pray with you today. We want to walk with you in making that transformation and that shift today. Whatever it is, God is a good God. And we want you to know him that way. So we invite you to come as well. I'm going to pray. Those who want to be dismissed, you can go out in the fellowship area, visit together and hang out for a while, okay? The rest of us, we're going to do ministry here. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we ask you to send your Holy Spirit right now to be comforter and counselor. And we ask you to draw us deeper into relationship with you. So we ask you to move in our hearts now. Seal this word today. This reality of your great presence among us, in us and through us. And the mighty hand that is at work deep in us. Help us today to accept and to receive your hand at work. And to cooperate with you in what you're doing that you may get glory through each of our lives. And Father, if there's anyone here today who doesn't know you, I pray that their hearts would be drawn to you in this prayer time and that they would come to that, that knowledge of salvation and put their hope completely in you. And those of us who have struggled with the, the hard, deep, hurting issues of life, would you today minister to us and speak to us your power, and your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.